0: Okay, thanks for coming out tonight, and uh, I'm looking forward to giving this topic. I've never been asked to speak on ministering together, ever, in my whole life, so this is brand new material, and um, I suppose that the reason I got asked is because all of our children are now out of the house, and my wife goes with me everywhere, so... I want to have a little caveat at the beginning of this talk. It's not to make women feel guilty when you have children at home and you're not out ministering with your husband because my wife had those years as well. I took many a trip without her uh, in years gone by. But there's something beautiful about ministering together. And so I was asked to do it more from our own perspective, our own experience. And so it'll be sounding like it's more for ministers and their wives. But I want you, if, if you're an elder and you're an elder's wife or deacon, deacon's wife, whatever, or an aspiring office bearer, I want you to put it into your own system, your own lifestyle, your own place in life. Like Ecclesiastes 3 says, there's a season for everything in life. So glean what you can from it. Don't just think this is for ministers and their wives. Um, There's a lot of couples in the Bible, just think of Aquila and Priscilla, how they ministered together, Zechariah and Elizabeth ministered together, they weren't ministers. Um, So try to think of it in that way and then put it into your own uh, lifestyle and your own situation. I think that will be helpful for you. So turn with me to Romans 16, please, and I'd like to just read. The first five verses, first five verses. Let's hear the word of God again. I commend unto you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Cenchrea, that ye receive her in the Lord, as become a saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succorer of many, and of myself also." Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved uh, Epinitas, who is the firstfruits of Achaia, unto Christ. Well, let's have a short prayer again before we plunge into our topic. Dear Lord, please bless us now in these moments. Help me to speak an edifying word, bless the Q&A, bless the books that will be sold tonight to assist in office-bearing, and bless the whole Office Bearers Conference also, tomorrow, the various speakers grant that it would be a blessed conference for many and would assist many as they seek to, as minister, elder, deacon, or aspiring office-bearer, serve in the Church of Jesus Christ. So be with those in particular who are ministers. Bless them, Lord, and help them to, with their wives, minister in ways that are supported in the scriptures, and that these ways may be a great benediction to the churches. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. An office bearer, pastor, elder, or deacon, and his wife, working together humbly, joyfully, Prayerfully can be a fruitful tool by God's amazing grace and in his hand to advance his kingdom. Not only the ones I mentioned already from the scriptures, but church history is full of husbands and wives who work together for the advance of, of God's kingdom. If you just think of Adoniram and Ann Judson as missionaries, or you think of John and Mary Ann Patton uh, as missionaries. Or Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Um, These are all missionary examples, but there are many well-known pastoral examples as well. Uh, Martin and Katie Luther were bonded together in many forms of ministry. So was uh, John and Edelette Kelvin. And they had wonderful marriages that they co-labored. A woman in her own roles but also at the side of her husband for the welfare of the church. And when there is a ministering together of husband and wife in legitimate ways, there, first of all, needs to be mutual trust and respect. Uh, The man of God must be a humble and godly servant leader, And his wife at his side must strive to be worthy of her husband's trust, as Proverbs 31 11 says, to do him good, as verse 12 says, and to enhance the fruitfulness and success of his endeavors as an office bearer through her unwavering support, verse 23. And so all throughout Scripture and then all throughout the Bible, Uh, sorry, church history, there is this validation through examples where God is stamping his benediction on ministerial togetherness. In fact, many godly men have behind them and at their side a godly woman, even with public influence, which includes so many throughout all ages. So what I want to do in this address is I first want to define what it means to minister together, and I'll look first at what it is not, and then what it is, and then I want to give you eight ways in which a husband and wife can minister together, or eight points. So this is not a three-point sermon, it's an eight-point conference address, okay? So, first of all, what ministering together is not. If you're a pastor, an elder, or a deacon, your wife is not a pastor, elder, deacon. The New Testament is very plain. That office bearing is for men only. I'm not going to belabor that tonight. There's just too many New Testament texts that prove that. So, You, Pastor, Elder Deacon, you are the one called to public official office-bearing ministry, not your wife. It's good that your wife can assist you, stand beside you as your helper, but she's not called to the official office-bearing ministry per se. There isn't a fourth office in the church called MW, Minister's Wife doesn't exist. Now, there can be, speaking particularly of a minister's wife, a certain emotional strain on a pastor's wife when the congregation considers her as a kind of, as one author called it, pastorette, E-T-T-E, like she's a little mini pastor beside her husband. Some churches, happily, I don't think that's true in the Free Reformed or the Heritage Reform, but some churches expect their wives of the ministers to sort of be like a, a two for one. You pay one and you get two. And the minister's wife is supposed to uh, definitely know how to play the piano and, and, and lead all the women's groups and, and do all kinds of ministry in the church, even if she has seven kids at home. I mean, that, that's disaster pastor's wife is number 1 she's godly a child of god number 2 her husband's helper number 3 their children's mother and then number 4 a church member and so when a minister takes up a pastorate he must not try to turn his wife into a pastorate but he must look at her gifts she must look at her gifts and whatever time and energy she has beyond the keeping of the home in an edifying way, there ought to be freedom for that pastor's wife or elder's wife or deacon's wife to contribute to various ministries or various assistance to the minister or to the office bearer in accord with her own set of gifts and her own desires. So... The question isn't so much what do we expect of a minister's wife, for example. It's better to ask, in what ways can a minister and his wife serve the kingdom of God together? And in what ways is it best that they don't? Uh, Even a minister is not gifted in every area. And it's best sometimes for ministers not to get involved in everything. A minister, for example, shouldn't try to be a medical doctor. Uh, and this minister should not join the choir because he doesn't sing well. So you look at your gifts, you look at the time allotment you have, and you ask, as a wife or as a husband concerning your wife, which areas would it be possible, feasible, realistically, for my wife to minister together with me. And as I said in my introduction, with all of our children out of the home now, obviously my wife, being very ministry-oriented, her ability to minister together with me and given my opportunities to minister in different places has, of course, expanded hugely in the last... Five years and we're enjoying it immensely. It's meant to be enjoyed as well. When a husband and his wife both serve God together, when you think of Priscilla and Aquila, when you think of Zacharias and Elizabeth, who walked in all the ordinances of God blameless, you think of a happy couple, don't you? They're in serve they're serving God together. There's great joy that accrues to the couple when they serve with their hearts. So What is ministering together? Just three quick thoughts here. Ministering together, first of all, involves a biblical marriage. A biblical marriage. In a healthy pastoral marriage, the husband pastor serves as a Christ-like leader to his wife, loving her as Christ loves the church, and the wife shows a reverence and a respect for, for the minister. And the wife and the husband are in harmony in this ministry because their their marriage is biblical. It's centered on Christ, who is the minister par excellence. And so when two people center on Christ and both people want to serve the church, the bride of Christ, faithfully, and both have different gifts, and you merge those gifts together so that Your effectiveness is multiplied in ministry. There is great fruitfulness from that. So biblical marriage is foundational. Number two, ministering together involves biblical godliness. Godliness. You've got to have a love for God. You've got to have a love for the souls of people. You've got to have patience for eccentric people and people that are difficult to, to minister to or, to or to live with uh, in the church. And you've got to have delight in serving the kingdom of God. But again, these are just basics of kingdom service. So ministering to others begins by ministering to one another as husband and wife and also it begins by living a, a godly life in the fear of God, using the spiritual disciplines, yourselves, both in private, as well as together as husband and wife, and praying together and so on. And finally, ministering together involves not only biblical marriage and biblical godliness, but also biblical service. You've got to be committed to serve. Biblical ministering together is not about me going out to build my own reputation or my wife to build her reputation. It's about serving people. And a minister's real wages, and for that matter, a minister's wife's real wages, is seeing people brought to true conversion under your mutual service or seeing a believer grow in conformity to Christ and come closer to Christ, that's a minister's real wages. That's what gives joy unspeakable, also in ministering together. So what about the eight ways then? Well, way number one is that ministering together involves teamwork, teamwork across the board from beginning to end it's it's not competition it's not trying to outdo each other it's a it's a a ministry in which you both have your distinct roles the minister is in the foreground a bit more than his wife but the wife is beside you helping adding comments here or there for example when you When you visit, or when you're down as a minister, she encourages you as you're preparing your sermons, or she counsels with you, particularly in cases where a woman is involved, or sometimes she evangelizes with you. I've noticed that difference in my wife between 20 years ago and actually the last five or six years when she's with me a lot. She's doing a lot more evangelizing. The more countries we go to, the more experiences we have. Uh, I I might do, say say you're at a hospital bed uh, somewhere in the world, and you're visiting some sick person in the congregation to serve, as well as your own congregation. And I take the lead in the visit, but my wife chips in her thoughts. And, And then often... Even after I pray sometimes, my wife steps forward before we leave the room, and she, she evangelizes that person for a few minutes with, with a lot of love. Sometimes I look at that and say, wow, I could just see from that woman laying in that bed. She, she actually had more impression under what my wife was saying than what under what I was saying. And it just reinforces the visit. And it's rewarding for both of us. But you never know how God will use that teamwork in visitation now part of that teamwork is the minister's wife or the elder's wife or deacon's wife encouraging her husband ministers can easily get discouraged there's so much so much opposition to faithful ministry today and Women often don't realize how much their husbands need that encouragement. A woman can make or break her husband. And if you're really tough on your husband, that won't do any good. If you're always flattering him, that won't do any good. You've got to be realistic. But when he's down, the Bible says, the other one has to lift you up, right, in a good marriage. And so, as a minister, sometimes you need that in a double measure. You know, it's not easy every Monday morning to start a whole research paper again, a sermon, for the next week. You know, theological students complain that they've got so many papers to write. I say, "Well, well, welcome, you've got to write two of them every week when you become a minister. That's a lot. And to be alone in the study and be grappling over the Word is, is a challenge sometimes. Sometimes you just can't get to the heart of the text. You feel helpless, you feel burdened, you feel burned out almost, and yet you've got to keep going. Blessed is the minister who comes home for lunch and his wife says to him, how's it going, honey? And he says, uh, well, it's just not going well. I've been spinning my wheels. I just can't get my points right. And, and she looks at him and she says, uh, let, let's pray a moment. She prays for him. It's great. You work together in everything except official office bearing. But there's more than that. There is an underlying, uh, how must I call it, pathos, ethos to the home that your wife sets the tone for. And blessed is the office bearer who walks into his home and feels the warmth, the love, the understanding, the embrace. Blessed is the wife who feels the love of the husband, the hug, the kiss, the how was your day, the the good warm communication. So where there's love and trust in the ministerial home, it works both ways. The minister's wife is very satisfied and happy in her lot, in her role, but she also empowers her husband to be as bold as a lion when he needs to be outside the home, for he knows that he has a constant haven of rest and support inside the home. And it gives him courage to do his work. Proverbs 31 puts it this way, the virtuous woman builds her husband up with healing and with soothing words. Verse 26. So that's number one, ministering together involves teamwork. Number two, ministering together involves prayer. The prayers of God's people, Revelation 5 says, are like incense ascending to heaven. And so as a minister and his wife labor in prayer together, They can be encouraged that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, and we could add a righteous woman, avails much. Zacharias and Elizabeth were we're praying together. The testament of the Holy Spirit is that they were righteous before God, walking in all the ordinances of the Lord, blameless. They were also characterized by prayer for the birth of John the Baptist was the Lord's answer Luke one thirteen to their request for a child. So God calls pastors to give themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So that's our job description, brother, in the ministry. It's actually half of our job description. So we've got to be praying men or we're failures. But as the pastor's help meet, the minister's wife can... Help us to see the value of prayer by laboring in prayer herself and by laboring in prayer together with you on behalf of the congregation. So in our family, for example, I mean, we've we've done this for 30-some years. I pray one prayer at each meal. My wife prays the closing prayer. I remember some of the sick maybe in the first prayer. She remembers some of the other sick in the last prayer. It's teamwork in prayer. Every night we go to bed. We get down on our knees together. And I hope you do that. And we we hold hands and I pray one night, she prays the next night. And that's wonderful. I, I would terribly miss as a minister some of the value of the feminine side of prayer if I didn't have my wife praying at my side every day and every night. So it's not just ministers that should be praying with people. When your wife takes those turns praying, it's endearing to a minister. I think sometimes if you, if you, if you have a deep, a large congregation and you, 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 you have different roles of ministry. I've, I've thought this, about this before. I, I think maybe in an average week I might be praying with 50 to 100 people in one week. And then you've got six prayers at home for the three meals and you, you've got family worship prayer. You've got uh, prayer uh, when you go to bed at night, prayer when you get up in the morning, You've got prayer with different people coming to your office. You've got prayer with unexpected needs over the phone, birthday prayers, hospital prayers, sick prayers. There's a lot of praying, not counting the private prayers. What a blessing to have your wife at your side to assist you with at least a small portion of that. And it binds you together. It's not just the home that prays together, stays together. It's also the marriage that prays together, stays together. And that's so encouraging. And my, my wife actually is just, just a blessing to me that way. And perhaps most of all, when, when I feel like I can't preach, and you know, preaching is, and you wives need to understand this, preaching is not like any other occupation. Most other occupations, if you do it 10 years, you pretty well got it down pat. Ministry you never have down pat. Every sermon is a mountain. Every sermon is a major event. Every sermon you You tremble. Who am I to be the mouthpiece of the living God when I'm a sinner? It's no small thing to preach. And personally, I don't know what other ministers feel, but sometimes I'm excited to preach. Sometimes I'm ready to preach, but not excited. Sometimes I'm not ready to preach. And still must preach, and sometimes I'm overwhelmed at the thought of preaching. There's all kinds of experiences with regard to preaching. But usually, say, an average of about five times a year, I just just feel like no matter how much time I put in, it's not that I've been lazy. I'm just not ready to preach the sermon. And Sunday morning is here, and I feel like I haven't got the depth of it. And when that happens to me, I, I just kind of get quiet. I just feel overwhelmed. And my wife picks up on it. As we're driving to church, especially, she'll look at me and she'll say, uh, you, you got it again, don't you? And I'll go, uh, yeah. And then she, she just puts her hand on my wrist and she says, honey, don't worry. The Lord will help you one more time. I, I have come to love those three words. One more time. I don't need help for a sermon two weeks from now. I need help now for this sermon. What a blessing she is to me just by saying those three words. So, and then she'll sometimes just in the car. She'll just break out in prayer to help me as I go up on the pulpit. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. A godly woman will be praying with and for her husband as a minister of the gospel. She'll be like Anna in Luke 2, 37, who served God with prayers night and day. What a gift. Ministering together by prayer. Thirdly, Ministering together involves companionship. It involves, in our case in particular, a lot of living and traveling together, a lot of suitcases, a lot of motel rooms, a lot of different beds, a lot of different people, a lot of different situations. But that's not unusual. Priscilla and Aquila had that as well. Acts 18, Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Timothy 4, they're mentioned again and again in different situations. And so, they were always mentioned together, weren't they? What a blessing it is when you, when you have that opportunity in that stage of life when you can always be together. I tell my wife now, I am entirely codependent on you. And you just have to go with me everywhere I go. <laughs> and I'm, I'm half serious about that. Well, three quarters serious. I don't want to miss her. I'm so used to her traveling with I'm so used to talking things over. I'm so used to stepping in the car and saying, how do you think it went, honey? And she gives me her assessment. She's mild. She's gracious. She's helpful. And the joy of being able to go to a motel room in, in Brazil at midnight after you've been ministering all day and have your wife at your side and lay together and get up for the next day compared with going to that motel room by yourself and being lonely and missing everything and wondering if it's all worthwhile that you're not back at home. I can't tell you the difference. It's huge. So just the companionship. And having all these experiences together. If you're a husband and wife, you can identify with this. Let's say you've had maybe some, some real difficulties with one or more of your children. Just going through all those experiences with that child, doesn't it bind you together? And when you travel a lot and you minister in a lot of different places, I mean, Mary's been with me to close to 50 countries, every continent of the globe many times. You just have this whole set of experiences that accumulate, accumulate in your mind. It just bonds you together. And you just can't think of being apart from each other. And This is just a joy, a joy in ministry. And now, I don't think a conference goes by where somebody doesn't walk up to me and say, you know what I like about you? And I think, you know, he's going to say, you know, you preach well, you, you write good books. No, 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 no. We like about you that your wife is always with you. There's something special about having your wife with you. We, we feel like it's special. She's here. So she creates good vibes with the people, but just seeing us together and seeing us close to each other, seeing how how much We love each other just in subtle ways. They pick up on that. And so you're actually not just modeling preaching in a way. The older we get, of course, we feel more like a father and mother. And we're modeling a marriage as well, subconsciously. So that companionship doesn't only benefit us. It can also have an impact on the people of God. Of course, in our case, wherever we go, we're doing book tables together. And, you know, we're side by side behind the book table. I'm selling the books. Mary is writing up the sales, and people see that. Oh, that, that ministering together, that is a, that's a good thing, they say. Now, number, where am I, five, four, okay. Ministering together involves visitation, visitation. Now, one woman will be a better visitor than another. And I'm not saying that you have to excel to have a decent visit. What I am saying is if you do excel in spiritual and social graces, you can be a tremendous asset to, to your husband, particularly in visiting the sick. Women have uh, empathy, sympathy, in ways sometimes that we men can't quite match. And particularly when a woman's involved. I don't even want to go really visit a woman in the hospital who's anywhere near my my age. It just feels awkward. But when my wife is there, it's very natural. And it's interesting that my entire ministry of marriage with her, so last 34 years, if a woman wants counsel from me, alone, I just say to her, um, well, my wife has a really good counselor. and She's very wise. Do you mind if she joins us? I've never had anyone say no, ever. And because my wife has also earned that right and that reputation in the congregation that she's confidential and that she has words of wisdom, women actually appreciate that. I say, oh, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. And so we get the opportunity to, to counsel together, and then afterwards we talk about the counsel we gave and say, "Could we have done this better or that better?" Or what, what? What do you think? And sometimes we we have slightly different viewpoints about the situation, but we come to an emerging point, and it helps. It helps for the next counseling situation with that same person to have been able to talk that over together. It's it's just huge, a huge boon. For counseling, and then of course there's always the uh, the hospital visits and there's uh, the baby visits. Oh, I try never to go see a new baby without my wife. I, it's just not the same. When you see a new baby and you get really excited with a couple, and we do, I still get really excited to see a couple with a. I mean, a baby is a miracle, and my wife is there. And mom, um, okay, I get to hold the baby first. No, I want to hold the baby first, and the couple just loves it. And they're taking pictures of you holding the baby and, and then you're talking to them. Then you read to them Psalm 127 or 128. And you pray with them and you share their joy. That's one, of the, that's one of the great things about the ministry. You're with people in their most joyous moments, baby being born, a wedding, and you're with them in their saddest moments, funeral, death, the news of cancer, and you're over there visiting or miscarriage. You're over there visiting. And that bonds you to the people. In life's greatest moments, you were there. And it bonds you to them because you know their joys and sorrows. And when your wife is with you in all of that, you see, you're not like a stranger walking back into your house and saying, Honey, I I can't explain to you what I just went through. Visiting this uh, widow and the loss of her husband. No, she's, she's with you. She feels it, as you do as well. So visitation uh, is extremely important. And then, birthday visits. I don't do as many. I I, I call everyone now because I'm not the primary full-time pastor now. But when I came to Grand Rapids, we had 1,000 people in the church. We had 80 people over 80. And I went to visit every one of them every single year. I think Mary went with me 90% of the time. And what a blessing, you know? In fact, I think it was more important she was with me for many people than that I came. Because if she wasn't with me, they'd open the door and they'd have this sad look on their faces. You didn't bring your wife with you? Well, I'm sorry, but you know, she had to babysit the grandchildren today. And oh, that's too bad, that's too bad. Well, well you can still come in, you know? <laughs> It's a kind of a letdown for them. So these, these things, these things are, are sweet when you can do them together. Now, there are some visits you can't do together, and you're going to hear about those tomorrow because I see the subject. By the way, I can't be here tomorrow, unfortunately, because we're leaving for Florida early tomorrow morning. I have to preach on Sunday at Fort Myers, but um, I do wish you well tomorrow, but you can't take your wife with you on a discipline visit because you need another office bearer. That's part of church order. You go with two office bearers to make sure there's a witness that has office bearing authority as you, as you discipline people. So that, that's, that's common sense. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean, however, that if you see someone going a bit astray and you're a bit concerned, but they're not under discipline yet, And you're pretty close to those people. Sometimes before I bring it to the consistory, I say, honey, let's just go, let's just you and me go on an informal visit. Let's try to correct this before it becomes a a serious problem. And then of course, it's it's a good thing. When When you discipline people, I always try to look around the consistory room and say, who are the two men that are the very closest to that individual, that that individual trusts the most, likes the most, knows the best? Because I've experienced over the decades that usually those men have more impact for good than, say, a minister who's only been there for four months and doesn't know the individual. When people are disciplined, usually... uh, they take it better from people they know well and, and trust. Number five, ministering together involves hospitality. Hospitality. Now, of course, all, all Christians are commanded to show hospitality, right? That's a, several passages of Scripture. But one of the particular qualifications of elders is the ruling elder and the teaching elder is that they are to show hospitality, show love to strangers. 1 Timothy 3, 2, Romans 12, 13, Titus 1, 8. So as one flesh with her husband, the minister's wife must show a unique level of showing mercy and hospitality. That means your home is open. That means periodically, not every night, of course, but periodically you invite people over for dinner. Uh, Proverbs 31, verse 20. And how could you do that without your wife? I mean, I don't have any culinary skills. I, I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't make a meal for them, not least not very well. And it just won't be the same without your wife. You wouldn't have the same warm hospitality. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila modeled that hospitality as a ministry couple. They hosted meetings in their own home. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19. So ministering to parishioners in our home with a hospitable wife can be a huge blessing to any ministry. Not only to your own people, but also also to other people, strangers worldly neighbors. You know, if you invite people over for dinner and you do family worship right after dinner like we do, we never ask them, do you want to join us for family worship? Because they might say no. And we want them to experience family worship together with us. So we just say to them, well, we always have a little bit of family worship after dinner, so why don't you just come into the living room here and you can sit here and you can sit there, and, and I don't care who they are. Saved, unsaved, worldly people, godly people. No one's ever turned us down. Because we didn't, well, we didn't give them the chance to turn us down. We said, this is where you'll sit. And we, we do family worship, and we, we, we pray together. We read the Bible together. Then we read, the, of course, the family worship Bible guide notes. We read those, and ends in a question, and we discuss it together. And then we pray again. And we sing. Singing sometimes is a little bit awkward with people that, but the one thing that always works is amazing grace. I don't know. Even unconverted people know amazing grace. And so we we sing a lot of amazing grace with, with families that don't know the Psalter book. So what I'm saying is hospitality with a meal and family worship can be very impactful. And... You can have people over, even who are religious, even who have been a member of a Reformed church their whole life, and they'll say at the end of family worship, I've never seen anything like this before. Not because our family worships are so tremendous, but we're just doing what our forefathers always did. Family worship today is is a lost art in most nations of the world and most Christian churches. In our Dutch tradition, we still had a little bit of it. We had a prayer before the meal, we had a prayer after the meal, a little bit of Bible reading. But we didn't have what the Scottish and English had in the 16th, 17th century where the father would talk to the family supported by his wife about the major point of the chapter just read or the major two or three points and the singing. And so that was a wake-up call to me when I first had to do a, a conference talk on family worship in South Africa when our oldest child was three years old and I was going to put in 20, 25 hours maybe into that talk because I'd never talked on family worship before. It ended up being a 100. I spent weeks on it and I started researching. I came to my wife at one point and I said, wow, thank God for our Dutch tradition that we do some of this, but we're not doing the full, robust family worship that our forefathers did, and we're, we're missing out. And since then, well, this has been a, a huge part of my ministry, that I, I really feel burdened to restore family worship. All around the world, wherever I go, I try to have one of my talks be on family worship and present the family worship Bible guide. And that kind of example of family worship I think, is an important part of ministry. In fact, did you know that the typical Puritan pastor, when he performed a wedding, after the couple got back from what we today call honeymoon, he would go to their house for a free dinner. And then after dinner, he would model for the young man how to do family worship. And he'd say, if you want me to do it again, I'll, do it. I'll come over again sometime. After you have kids, I'll, I'll show you How? And that, we're missing that today. So hospitality can help a lot in that direction. And then number six, I think it is. um, Ministering together involves teaching, involves teaching. So Priscilla clearly had profound knowledge of the scripture and used those gifts in private contexts even though she didn't assume the role of public teaching in the church. Read Acts 18, verse 26. But the minister must also, of course, must be teaching. His wife may not have that gift and she shouldn't pretend to have it if she doesn't. But many ministers' wives get to know their theology pretty well and they can can teach younger women. They are to teach younger women, the Bible says. And the minister himself must be a teacher, wherever he goes. And together, you see, they know sound doctrine. And so though the wife must never usurp the authority of her husband or try to take over when he starts teaching, she can contribute to it. And it becomes a four-way conversation with another couple instead of just a minister dialoguing to the two people. And that can be very powerful in the teaching environment. Example, when couples come to us for premarital counseling, I say to my wife, if you're too busy, I'll go through the wedding form, I'll go through all that part with them. But my wife often, and then we we do what, we call it a a mini sermon, but it lasts about an hour and a quarter. And uh, we talk to them, usually about 10 different major things about marriage. And then we ask them questions about their relationship and what areas do they want help in and give them books to read, of course, and stuff. My wife joins with that, always. Not always the first part, but she likes to be there the first part. She'll say to me, oh, no, I, um, I am busy, but I'll, t- I'll try to make the first part as well. And I can see, especially, that the young bride-to-be enjoys it, that Mary's there the whole time and it just it just works well and the teaching that goes on even in going through the wedding form can be surprising sometimes and the couples asking questions and we're already getting to premarital counseling before we even through the wedding form and then of course certain ministers wives or elders wives have unique op- opportunities and my wife is one of those she's written some books and so now she's asked to speak at a lot of conferences and one of our greatest joys is when we are at a conference, say I'm speaking four times or so to the whole audience, she will just speak to the women and 50% of the time now because of her books and because she people know she's always with me, they'll have her speak once to the women on a on a, on a theme very appropriate to women, and that is always successful. And so we we kind of minister together that way in our own In our own settings and that's exciting and enjoyable and I believe fruitful now a seventh point ministering together involves confidentiality you can ruin everything I said up to this point if you're not confidential as a husband but also as a wife If the rumor is out that the minister is not confidential or his wife is not confidential, guess what? People won't bear their soul to you. So this is a paramount obligation on both the part of the minister and his wife. In fact, the Bible actually says that the wives should not be slanderers or gossipers in the... uh, Requirements of the office bearer's wife in 1 Timothy 3. And remarkably, the word slanderer there is not just speaking about malicious gossip, but this word is normally translated from the word for the devil. It's actually devilish to be an accuser of the brethren through gossip or slander. And so a wife or a husband who carelessly spread secrets are actually being more like the devil than they realize. That's how the devil promotes division. So the wives of pastors and the pastors themselves must be like flowers. You know, tulips close at night when it grows cold, but in the morning they open up again. And so... Ministers and their wives should have mouths like tulips that know when to close to protect people, and when to open their mouths in the warmth of love. And if you, as a man of God, tell your wife something that, or maybe you want her advice, and that, that really shouldn't go out to other people, it's your responsibility to say, "You know, I really want your advice on this, but it is confidential." And you can only do that if you can fully trust your wife. Some men think their wives are very confidential, and they're not, and that's a disaster. That will catch up with you sooner or later. So this whole point is very important. And again and again in the book of Proverbs, that comes back, doesn't it? A talebearer reveal his secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Too much talking may dangerously undermine your husband's trustworthiness in the church, or your own, or he can destroy your reputation as a wife as well. Proverbs 17, 9, He that covereth the transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth the matter separates very friends. I think my mother got it right. When we grew up, she always said to us, You know, you can talk about people as much as you want. As long as everything you say is good. You see, a minister, an elder, a deacon, and their wives should not be speaking ill about people. That tears down a congregation as well. Rather, we should be role models that people say of us you know, you never hear a bad word from our minister, from his wife, about anyone. That's what the reputation should be that, that we have. And then ministering together involves sacrifice, sacrifice. There are times when you do have to deny yourself to, to minister. There is the occasional call at three o'clock in the morning and you've been short on sleep anyway, and you just got to sleep and somebody calls you and they're in an urgent situation. But, you know, it's not every day. It's not as much as a medical doctor. So stop complaining. Be willing to make that sacrifice. This, this comes with, with the, the job description. You, you should do this gladly. Be glad that people want to see you when they're in real need. Especially when they're dying. You should joyfully Go even if it means you have to sacrifice some family time at that particular time. And it's not bad, it's different if you do it all the time, but it's not bad that your family, even your children, sometimes see that someone in great need needs their dad and see your love for the church and your love for the souls of others. Chances are those children, if you give them a lot of love in normal daily life, grow up not being resentful of ministry but appreciating ministry and often want to be office bearers themselves and finally ministering together involves joys and privileges joys and privileges I, I love I love ministering with my wife mutual ministry to me is exciting raising children together is exciting Raising children in the church is exciting. I can't tell you how many times my wife and I laugh together with joy about something positive that happens in the church and pray together about something bad, sad. And just that camaraderie, that togetherness in all of those cases um, just strengthens your own marriage. And then there are perks and privileges in, in, in the ministry. You get to meet a lot of God's people. You get to have a lot of conversations. You get to hear a lot of conversion stories. I love to just ask about conversion stories where, wherever I go. And it's amazing how many conversion stories are so surprising. I've never heard two exactly alike. It's just Wonderful to hear what God does. But it's also, those are also perks for your family. You know, with the seminary, of course, next door, we've had a lot of professors sleep in our home and teach for a week, and they're in our home, and they were, of course, at the, at the dinner table with all of our children when they were home. And I'd, I'd ask them always, of course, to take one of the two prayers. You think it was good? that my children, our children, heard the prayers of all these godly men and heard us talking about Christ and spiritual things around the table regularly, you bet it was good. They felt the reality of Christ, the reality of all these men coming into our home, that they had a real vital relationship with God. The benefit of that spiritual conversation, those prayers, those uh, In Dutch we would say, those hazealschaps around the table. That was great. Great impact for the kids. Great for our own souls. Some of the professors we've had are such godly people. And they would talk to the kids. It was great. What a privilege. What a privilege. And then, of course, varies from minister to minister, but our children grew up taking a number of trips with us. They were in Israel with us. They got to experience all of that. They were in Germany and Switzerland and other places as they grew up. So they got a lot of life experiences. So all this business of, oh boy, you don't want to be a PK. You don't want to be a preacher's kid because of all these burdens you have to sacrifice. Oh, there are some, but it's more than counterbalanced. If you, as a father and mother, really love your kids. It's really a wonderful way of life. But don't put pressure on your kids to be more holy because they're minister's kids. That doesn't work. You tell them everyone has to be holy. We all have to walk godly. But try not to give them extra burdens. But do give them extra joys. And uh, that will help if they get a bit resentful at different stages of their life. But mostly, mostly by God's grace, they'll receive it, receive it very well. All right, conclusion. All ministering together, all ministering together must be marinated in love, in love, love for God in each of his divine persons, love for God's glory, love for the congregation, Love for individuals, love for families, especially love for their souls, love for people in general, love for the work of mutual ministry, love for each other as husband and wife, love for your own family. Love, 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 love is critical. Charity suffers long. I always say to our theological students when they first come for the first semester, I kind of shock them with this. In the class, Christian minister and ministry, I have a section on why you have to love your people. And I just say this. If you don't love people, if you don't love their souls, you don't feel the burden for their souls, it's probably wisest for you to stand up and walk out of this seminary and disenroll from this seminary because God's not calling you to ministry. When you're, in the, when you're in the ministry, you're like a father figure. You've got to love your children. You've got to love your children, your spiritual children. And so love is paramount. And when your wife loves the congregation as well, and in my case, my wife was born here, baptized here as a baby, She's never left the congregation. I've been here 37 years. She's been here 64 years. One year of teaching in Iowa, but that's it. She knows the congregation. She knows the people from, from childhood. She's, she's bonded with them. And, and So this, this love, we, we, just, we just love our church. We wouldn't be anywhere else in the world. And that kind of love, honestly, it's a huge blessing. Because when something goes wrong, we, we've never said in 34 and a half years of marriage, oh, maybe we should ask the Lord for another call somewhere. Maybe, we, maybe, maybe our days are over here. We just don't think that way. This is home. Our church is our family. And it's a blessing. It's a, I think it's a huge blessing when we have that because our kids had roots. Our kids never had to move. My wife never had to move. And and, and we're bonded, embedded in the flock. And so we just love our people. And longevity, I'm actually writing a book right now on persevering in the ministry for the long term. And I'm trying to show in the book that long-term ministry normally is much more valuable than short-term ministry. Because with the passing of the years, just like the passing of a marriage, you grow in love more and more in a good marriage. And your love grows deeper and deeper. So it is with ministry and the flock. And when you minister together and your wife is at your side ministering, oh, it's a foretaste of heaven sometimes. And one day, one day, we don't know how exactly, but we will minister in heaven. We will serve Christ in heaven. And we will recognize those we love. We will have best friends in heaven, just like Jesus did. We will love everyone, but what will it be like? As a husband and wife, yes, you're not formally married anymore, but what would it be like to minister in heaven and to enjoy the fellowship of the saints and gaze together on Christ in perfect ministry, in a perfect spiritual marriage, in a utopian place where there are no bad reports and then to hear as you enter in by the grace of God well done thou good and faithful servant enter thou into the joy of thy Lord heaven is the world of perfect love Jonathan Edwards said in his great sermon called heaven a world of love so love on earth in anticipation of eternal love in heaven as you minister together. Let's pray. Gracious God,